0: Republicans are accusing the Biden administration and some states of racism in their COVID drug policies, saying that these policies, which proponents argue were intended to ensure people of color have access to life-saving COVID treatments, are actually resulting in discrimination against white people.
1: Hey there, Pulse Check listeners. I'm Annie Reese. And this is reporter Megan Messerly. Okay, yeah, I'm recording now. The drug citrobimab is a monoclonal antibody treatment generally given to people who are very sick with COVID, like hospitalized sick.
0: So the issue here is that there is only one monoclonal antibody treatment that is effective against Omicron. The problem is that it's in very short supply which means there's a lot of demand, which means not everyone who um, might possibly want the drug or need the drug will be able to receive it. So today, citrovimab and the fight over the
1: FDA's guidelines on who qualifies for it.
0: So there was this guidance released in December that actually suggests that race and ethnicity be considered when deciding who to give COVID drugs to. So not saying uh, that they have to be, but it just may be a factor that providers might want to consider when prescribing these drugs. And this is it's important to note among a list of other factors, you know, considering pre-existing conditions, uh, age, and sort of at the at the bottom of this guidance it says providers should also consider race or ethnicity. And so proponents of these policies say that the reason why race and ethnicity are a factor is because we're seeing, you know, higher rates of death um, among certain groups of color, including Black folks Mm -hmm. and um, Hispanic folks and the American Indian, Alaska Native communities, um, much higher rates of deaths than white folks. And so the argument is that, you know, this policy is sort of making up for some of the disparities we're seeing in the data and making sure that people who need these drugs are getting access to them. But the issue is a little bit more of explaining and doesn't fit as well into a a 30-second soundbite. Is this like a pretty standard
1: scoring system that they use for other drugs or is this kind of a new thing?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. So, you know, one expert I talked to says that the use of race as a clinical criteria um, isn't totally without precedent. However, obviously, it's still sparking some some controversy in this space. But when you talk to healthcare providers, you know, they essentially say that, you know, the reason these policies exist is, again, to make up for some of these um, lower rates of diagnosis among people of color, um, that you might, you know, miss an illness, someone might not be diagnosed for a certain illness, but they might actually be predisposed to worse outcomes uh, from COVID because of this underlying illness that hasn't been diagnosed. So they say that there's actually a good clinical basis for using race as a factor in treatment uh, purely because it sort of uh, helps a sort of a, a shortcut or a heuristic uh, to be able to figure out if these people actually need drugs. And so it's essentially a tool so providers aren't overlooking folks of color and uh, aren't missing folks of color who actually might need this drug um, in the process of prescribing just because they don't have an underlying underlying illness that's listed on this list of criteria. And again, thinking about the situation we're in right now with the Omicron variant, the people who are getting this drug are the sickest of the sick. Um, you know, one person we talked to said that at his hospital, uh, race isn't even being considered right now because there are there's such a high demand for this drug. And so they're really only looking at patients who are on immunosuppressive medications and elderly folks who are high risk. Those are the only people who are receiving this drug right now uh, in general because there is such a limited supply.
1: Why has this become such a political lightning rod? Is it partially because there are there's an inherently like limited supply of these COVID drugs?
0: Yeah, so we've seen uh, an an issue happen around these drugs. So only one of them is actually effective against the Omicron variant. So they're extremely scarce right now. Um, and the issue that we've seen come up uh, primarily from Republicans and conservatives is the concern that uh, this direction that race or ethnicity be considered when administering these drugs that this is actually resulting in um, white folks not being able to get access to the drug. Now the folks that we interview say this is not how things are actually playing out on the ground. Mm-hmm. It doesn't actually prevent you from getting the drug if you're you're a white person who um, meets all the other criteria and has shown a need for it. But we've seen this become increasingly a political issue. Some of the Republican strategists that we talked to drew comparisons to some of the conversations around um, critical race theory and affirmative action, you know, essentially saying that um, this could be a politically advantageous issue at the ballot box, um, pointing to the, the Virginia governor's election and saying, you know, voters there saw this an issue and they think they can make it an issue in the midterm elections potentially as well.
1: And so what do you think the stakes are here for the midterm elections?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I think we're seeing conservatives really ramp up messaging around this idea, seeing parallels here to some of the messaging over critical race theory, right? I think conservatives see this as a winning argument that um, there was backlash against critical race theory. And I think they're hoping that they might be able to harness, um, if not exactly that same sentiment, um, a portion of that sentiment among the base of voters. Um, I think they're really hoping that this will be a winning messaging and if they can sort of make this argument that this is uh, a form of racism, that that will resonate with voters. And I think the issue here is that Democrats have a really complicated argument to make when pushing back on that. And so I think we might see this, you know, pop up pop up on the campaign trail or in ads. Of course, we'll have to wait and see how that all plays out. Um, but if, you know, sort of polling shows this is a winning messaging, it, it would make sense that we'll see more of this on the, on the campaign trail. So of the most
1: vocal people who are calling on the FDA to rescind or update this recommendation is a list of kind of the usual suspects. Um, Senator Marco Rubio has released a statement, Donald Trump talked about it in a rally, former White House policy advisor Stephen Miller. Is there a sense that the FDA would actually rescind this recommendation? Or is this just a political cudgel?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. So, so far, at least at the federal level, they have been defending the policy saying there's a good reason this policy um, exists. So there's no no appetite that we've heard so far to change that federal recommendation. However, there has been pressure on states that have taken that federal recommendation and gone one step further. For instance, Ohio and Minnesota actually established these risk calculators, giving extra points for determining whether someone should receive these treatments. And then New York State adopted its own recommendations, essentially saying that race and ethnicity should be considered by providers. So going a step further, saying you may, but saying you should consider this as a factor. So we've seen pressure from some of these groups on those states uh, to change their policies. And actually, uh, Minnesota and Utah have changed their policies um, after they received uh, legal threats from uh, Stephen Miller's group, America First Legal. So we are seeing some response at the state level, but no changes on, on the federal level yet, at least so far. So
1: how effective Is this attack likely to be do you think it seems like it's one additional way of politicizing a health response that's already really partisan and maybe one that's at the beginning of its news cycle
0: there's a lot of theorizing that based on some of what we've seen around critical race theory that Republicans think this may be a really effective line of messaging in the elections. You know, we have seen it come up. Um, former President Donald Trump, you know, used this uh, line of argument at, at a recent rally in, in Arizona. So we are seeing more and more people talk about it. I think we'll sort of have to wait and see, you know, whether this really catches fire, um, you know, as we look at states across the nation, right, whether this becomes rhetoric that sort of all candidates are talking about or whether it's sort of um, more limited as it is right now. But certainly, uh, there's a sense, I think, among conservatives that this is a winning electoral argument. And, and Democratic strategists told us there is a, a concern that this may catch fire and it may have an impact on voters. Democrats, of course, think these attacks are baseless. But they're saying, you know, this could be still an argument that they have to contend with um, as they're working on election messaging and moving forward through the rest of the year.
1: What is the most interesting element of this story for you or what was something you learned reporting this out?
0: I think the most interesting thing for me in the story was uh, trying to get a sense from folks at the state level about why they had implemented these policies. Um, I talked to this researcher and, and the person who administers the allocation platform in, in Minnesota, and to him, being someone at the state level, um, being really familiar with the data in Minnesota, you know, he could very easily see this issue of seeing. Obviously, folks of color are getting more severe cases of COVID. There are higher deaths, et cetera. And so, for him, from a data perspective, you know, it was very plain that there would be a reason why Minnesota would include. Uh, race and ethnicity in its criteria. Um, Of course, once politics gets into it, it gets a lot more complicated. And that's one of the things he was telling me that he had this frustration as as someone working at the state level, that there's this political discourse around something that seems very straightforward to him from a health perspective, but is now getting tangled up in national politics.
1: All right, that's our show for this week. I'm Annie Reese, and big thanks to Megan Messerly from our healthcare team for joining me. PulseCheck's senior editor is Raghu Manavalan, and our senior producer is Jenny Ament. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.